Well, you know, friend, this book, this book is like no other book that you'll find in the entire Library of Congress. This book promises blessings to those who read it and keep what they find in it. Revelation 1.3, the Apostle John wrote, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep, say keep, and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Keeping those things which are written in it is another way of saving, saying we take these things to heart. Keeping the things that are written in this book is another way of saying we put these things into practice. Keeping the things which are written in this book is another way of saying we obey what God says. Last week we found that in order to renew God's people and help them to fulfill their God-given purpose, God led the people of Israel to get back to the book. It was very important. And when they got back to the book, they began to exalt God in God-honoring worship, but they also began to embrace and enjoy the changes in their life that happened as a result of the Word of God. However, there are many people who read the Bible. There are many people who know the Bible. There are even many people who have made a habit of studying the Bible, but they haven't taken the next step, which is obeying the Bible. Listen, friend, hearing and reading the Bible is not enough. It's not enough. I mean, can we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, but choose not to obey His Word? No, we cannot. Salvation without obedience is a total contradiction. They go hand in hand. If you're saved, you obey the Word of God. And if you obey the Word of God, then you're saved. You can be anyway, amen? So, we need to understand that this Bible that is like no other is like no other because it is written with the end goal. It's written with the purpose of being obeyed. God had this Word written so that you and I would put it into practice and be blessed by God's Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses told God's people in that day, I have set before you life and death. Choose one or the other. I set before you blessings and curses. You make the choice. But choose life that both you, and this is important families, that you and your descendants, you and your babies, 
you and your children may live. That they, like you, may love the Lord their God. That they may obey His voice and that they may cling to Him. For God is our life. How many of you know that when you become a child of God, when you become a Christian, God becomes your life. Your life is no longer your own. You are now a child of God. You are His property. And He wants you to obey His Word. Choose life, for He is your life in the length of days. So there God reveals to us that when we obey His instruction, our lives can be rebuilt, our lives can be renewed, and we can rejoice in a closeness with God that maybe we've never experienced before. I fear we have a whole lot of believers that have heard it, they know it, they study it, but they're not obeying it, therefore they don't enjoy a closeness with God that they should have as believers. Obedience is likely the best single word to sum up our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, if you're a born-again child of God, one thing that you hold close to your heart is obeying the Word of God. So today, as we read further about Israel's response to God's vision, we're going to find five reasons why we obey God's Word. On page 435 in the Bibles in front of you, in Nehemiah chapter 8, just a couple five verses today, but I'm going to begin in verse 13, uh, taking over where we left off in Nehemiah's journal last week. Verse 13, Nehemiah chapter 8, the Bible says, Now on the second day, y'all remember what happened on the first day, right? Say amen. <laughs> on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel, listen carefully, should dwell in booths. They should dwell in temporary shelters. They should dwell in huts, okay, during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem to the people, go out to the mountain, bring olive branches and branches of oil trees and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of leafy trees to make booths, to make huts as God's word is written. And then the people went out and they brought them and made themselves these booths. Some of them built on the roof of their house or in the courtyards of the courts, uh, in the courtyards of the, of the house of God, in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly, okay, the whole city of Jerusalem is dwelling in these huts for the length of the feast, for the seven, eight days of the feast. And the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under them 
For since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. I like gladness. Do you? I want to find out how I can be glad. I'm with you. I'm with you, Noah. Also, day by day, from the first day to the last day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now, friend, I pray that it becomes clear to you today that there can be no revival at Bethel Baptist Church until the members of the church make obedience a priority. Y'all hearing me? Say amen if you heard that. There can be no revival here until each one of us as individual members make obedience a priority in our lives. Obedience to what? Obedience to God's word. So that being the case, right out of the chute, we read that the number one reason that we obey is because we are hungry for God's word. Did you read it there in verse 13? They did the same thing a second day. Last week we concluded that God's people willingly gathered together for six long hours. What a sermon, amen? Can you imagine that? Six hours and they listened to Ezra as he read God's word. Why? Because they were hungry. They were hungry for the direction that comes from God's word. And today we find that one day wasn't enough. One day was not sufficient to curb their hunger for the word of God. And so what did they do? They met a second day to seek more understanding from the word of God. Bible translator J.N. Darby said it this way. To be hungry ain't enough. I interjected the ain't part there, okay? To be hungry ain't enough. You got to really be starving to know God's heart toward you. Remember this. When the prodigal son got hungry, do you remember what he did? He went and ate pig food in the pig pen. But when he started starving, what did he do? He went running home to the Father. Amen. Friend, we need to have the same type of mentality. That's how God's people in Israel felt that day. They heard Ezra read from God's word. They hadn't been fed God's word in some 70 plus years. And listen, they were starving. Starving for the word of God. They wanted to hear from the Father. They wanted to know what the Father had to say about their lives. So for eight days... They observed this feast of the tabernacle and they feasted and they feasted and they feasted on the word of God. And that's what happens, friend, when we begin to exalt God through his word, when we embrace the changes he wants to make in our lives and enjoy those life changes, the expected reaction is that we're going to be hungry. No, we're going to be starving starving for the Word of God, starving for the direction that God's Word can give us in our Christian lives. See, more than anything, these individuals wanted to obey God. 
They, as I tell the children, they wanted to put a smile on God's face. They wanted God to be pleased with them. And so they were striving to obey His Word. They understood that to obey God, they had to be feeding on this Word. If they wanted to make God happy, they needed to be obeying the Word of God. But did you know that hunger ain't enough either? Hunger's not enough either. Because we also, when we obey God's Word, we also find that we're humble. We're humble. In verse 13, there's an incidental thing that happened here. I want you to notice that the elders, the old folks, amen, the ones that know more than me and you will ever know, the fathers and the grandfathers and the priests and the Levites, what did they do? They all humbled themselves before Ezra and said, we want to learn the word of God. They came and they humbled themselves before Ezra. And they in effect said, teach us, Ezra. We don't know it all. And we want to learn God's word. We need God's direction even in our lives. You see, a first person who's full of himself, he don't have no need for God, does he? And yet we find a lot of people in our world who are full of themselves. One of the keys... To learning and obeying is to come to church, to come into the presence of God with a spirit of humility. Every time we come here, even if you come and you sit on the back pew on Wednesdays and you listen to us teach the kids, do you know if you come with a spirit of humility, you'll learn something? You'll go away from this place different than you walked in because that's the power of the living word of God. So we come with a spirit of humility, not full of ourselves, leaving all kinds of room for God to do a supernatural work in us. See, people who know everything don't have no reason to call on God. They already know it all. You know anybody like that? Amen. We all know them. Amen. So I want to encourage you, friend. Be humble. Be humble or you'll stumble. Amen. Be humble or you'll stumble. A humble person is convinced he doesn't know it all. When we come in here, we should say, hey, I know I don't know it all. In fact, in comparison to what I need to know, I know about that much. When you open the Word of God in your study, with a heart that wants to apply what you're reading, you're saying, there's a lot I need to know here. Lord, teach me. Come with a spirit of humility. And if you choose not to do that, I want to introduce you to God's school of humility. Anybody ever been there before? I've been there before. It's no fun. God's school of humility is for those people who haven't learned to put away their pride yet. They still, and they, and they, a lot of Christians have to go to God's school of humility. They haven't learned to put their pride. And so, friend, I want to tell you that if you struggle with pride, God can help you with that. Somebody say amen. Amen. God can help you with that, even though you probably won't like it. He can help you with your pride. But these men, these leaders, these elders, they had already attended God's school of humility. You see, for 70 years, they were in captivity. And they didn't want to repeat that course. Amen. So they wanted to come in with a spirit of humility 
and they humbled themselves and they asked Ezra to teach them the word of God that would give them direction. There's a theologian named J.I. Packer. And Packer said, not until we become humble and teachable, not until we acknowledge how little we are, not until we distrust our own way of thinking, not only uh, until we are willing to turn our minds upside down, can we find divine wisdom and apply it to our lives. We need to come to the school of humility. But it's not just hunger, and it's not just humility. They had to come together when they chose obedience. Because when they chose to obey God's word, they did so because they were being very honest. They were being very honest. The third reason that we obey God is we want to be straight with God. I pray that every day you want to be straight with God. These men, these elders, these leaders were listening to Ezra and they were shocked to hear that they had not been observing this Feast of Tabernacles as God had commanded them. And in verse 17, we read that this feast had even been observed for over a thousand years. They had been disobedient for a thousand years since the days of Joshua. And so these friends, we have to realize that if that were to happen today, you know what we would say? We would say, oh, that was a different culture. We would say, oh, uh, that part of God's word doesn't apply to us. We would say, oh, that don't really apply to us modern believers. I mean, why would modern believers build a small hut and live in it for eight days while they celebrate how God moved in, our, in times past in our lives? But these people who are listening to Ezra, these people who are teachable, said with hunger and humility and with honesty, here's what they said. If God wants us to build small huts and live in them for a week, that's exactly what we're going to do. And they said, let's get to it. In spite of the cultural differences, in spite of the personal objections, in spite of the mental objections, all they chose was to do God's word. You see, there's an honesty required. We have to be honest with God if we're going to obey God. There can be no ulterior motives. There can be no self-centered intentions. It's got to be all about God and what God wants, not what Bill Barlow wants. Right? The only motive that we should have is to please God by obeying Him in whatever He says to do. I didn't say it was easy. I just told you that's exactly what God has commanded. Consider this. When God commanded Noah to build that ark to save him and his family from the great flood, you have to wonder if Noah asked the Lord, Lord, what's rain? Because you see, up to that point, there had been no rain falling from the sky. But the Lord said, I'm going to make it rain for 40 days and for 40 nights, and you need to build this ark to save you and your family. But Noah said, how foolish am I going to look 
to prepare for something that has never happened before. How crazy is that going to make me look? But Noah took God simply at his word. And he did what God told him to do. Until we can say to God, whatever your word says to me, with no excuses, we're not being honest with God. And revival will remain elusive. It all begins and ends with obedience amongst the members. See, obedience is related to hunger. It's related to humility. It's related to honesty. But we also obey God's word because we make it a habit. We make it a habit. In verse 18, Nehemiah wrote in his journal that day by day, from the first day to the eighth day, he read from the book. Now, I want to introduce you to something called the 2190 rule. Amen? The 2190 rule reads like this. If you will commit yourself to an activity like reading God's word for 21 straight days, it'll become a habit. And then if you will continue in that habit for 90 more days, it will change your behavior. 2190. Make it a habit in 21 days. Change your behavior in 90 days. We need to make God's word a habit. From the beginning of the first day of the feast to the eighth day, these people could not get enough of God's word. They wanted more and more. So day after day, they listened to Ezra read from just the first five books of the Bible. Now, this reveals something really unusual about God's word that I want to share with you today. Spiritual hunger is opposite of physical hunger. Y'all hear that? Spiritual hunger is opposite of physical hunger. Let me tell you what I mean. Spiritual hunger grows the more we feed it. Physical hunger shrinks the more you feed it. Physical hunger grows the more you ignore it. Let me tell you clearly. If you don't eat food, what's going to happen? You're going to get more and more hungry. Ask me, I know. Amen? If you don't feed yourself spiritually, eventually your spiritual hunger is just going to go away. But if you do, if you do feed yourself spiritually, then I want you to know that you'll get more and more and more and more hungry. If you'll just make it a habit, if you'll just allow that habit to become a behavior, you'll get more and more and more hungry for the Word of God. In fact, can I tell you, unlike eating food, which I've also learned, it's great to overeat spiritually. It's great to overfeed. You can be a glutton spiritually. Because habitually feeding yourself spiritual food, habitually feeding on a diet of God's Word, 
it only leads to an increased hunger for the things of God. If you don't believe me, just try it. Just try it. You see, with the invention of the printing press back in 1450, the Bible became widespread throughout Europe and even in America. People who had never even seen a Bible, people who had never even touched a Bible, suddenly had access to the Word of God and they began consuming the Word. And before long, revival began to break out. Bodies of Christ began to break out into revival because they were consuming the Word. Friend, can I just tell you, if you don't feel a hunger for the Word of God, you just need to make it a habit. Make it a habit of feeding on it. The more you eat, the more you're going to want. And the more you feed, the more you're going to desire the things of God. And soon, you won't be able to get enough. Man, you're going to be up here every time the church doors open. Brother Bill, I need to feed again. Amen. I need to eat again. Give us some more food. Amen. And that's my job is just to keep feeding you. Amen. We won't be gluttons of the Word of God, praise the Lord. But just like you can't go to the gym every now and then and expect to reap true rewards. God's Word is not going to take hold in your life if you don't make hearing it and doing it a habit. It needs to be exchanged not just for a habit, but for a lifestyle. You need to make consuming the Word of God and obeying the Word of God just part of who you are. And when people say, you know, I don't know a whole lot about her. But one thing I do know, she's obedient to the Word of God. Let people think that about you. So when we obey the Word of God, we do so because we're hungry, we're humble, we're honest, and we've made it a habit. But we must also conclude that when we obey God's Word, we do so because we know it's going to result in happiness. Did you see there in verse 17? The Bible said there was very great gladness. They weren't just glad. They weren't just greatly glad. They were very greatly glad. That kind of happiness is a byproduct of knowing and obeying the Word of God. Listen to me. If you're listening, say amen. This is important. Take this home with you. Put it in your pocket. Rewind this all week long. Obedience always increases happiness. Always. Did y'all hear that? Obedience always increases happiness. Always. It brought happiness to these people. As they were doing something in obedience to God that they had been neglecting for a thousand years. See, that's the feeling that comes with obedience. That's the feeling that comes when we obey the Word of God. When you know you're doing the right thing. When you know that what you're doing and how you're living is pleasing to God. 
happiness is the result. Now listen, I understand that we're not Jews. And I understand that we're not supposed to be living in huts. Amen. But what's really ironic is this principle applies to every area of our Christian lives. For instance, whether it's sharing your faith, whether it's tithing, whether it's treating others well, joy comes when you set your feelings aside and say, I'm going God's way. I'm going to do this God's way. And He will bring the happiness. You see, the Lord honors obedience. He honors obedience, and when you obey His will instead of your own will, God is glorified, and you receive joy. It's just that simple. So this holy day, holy week really, became a holiday. It became a week of celebration and joy. Why? Because the people of God chose to obey His Word. Plain and simple. You know, for Christians, every single day of ours ought to be a holy day. You can have Sunday every day of the week. But every day for Christians ought to be a holiday too. Where we celebrate joy and celebration because we're saved from sin. And we can obey the word of God. Friend, there is no joy like the joy that comes from obeying God as a lifestyle. And honestly, I can tell you this because I've experienced it. I've experienced many days where I've been disobedient. And if I'm honest with you, those days were pretty cruddy. However, I've experienced many days where I've been obedient. And those days have overflowed with joy. Are you not convinced? Well, let me ask you a couple questions. Who's happier? A murderer on death row or a volunteer helping the poor? Who's happier? A man or a woman who has gone through a string of affairs or a husband and wife who is celebrating their 50th year anniversary? Who's happier? A thief that's constantly looking over his shoulder, hoping he don't get caught? Or a cheerful giver? Who is happier? Somebody who is holding a grudge? Or somebody who has forgiven? Who has let go and moved on? Friend, if you have lost your joy, if you have lost your Christian joy, I encourage you to take a lesson from Nehemiah and God's people in chapter 8. They got serious about obeying God, and all of a sudden, they began enjoying a God-blessed life. 
And as we learned last week, what was true then is true now. If you and I can understand that obedience is born out of a hunger for God, it's born out of a hunger for God's Word, if you and I can realize that obedience is a matter of humility, seeking that from God, which we could never have on our own. If you and I could grasp the concept that obedience is a matter of honesty, getting straight with God and staying straight with God. If you and I could make the choice to obey, to make obedience a habit, understanding that one area of obedience leads to another area of obedience, and before you know it, you're living a lifestyle of obedience. If you and I could just conclude that obedience to God is the truest form of happiness. Then we can begin to fulfill our God-given purpose. And then revival might just come to the church. Last week we found that step one, step one to God renewing his people is for us to get back to the book. To make this book a priority. But step two is getting serious about obeying what you find there. Getting serious with obedience. Friend, do you see the reasons for obedience in your life? Do you see, friend, that that you're hungry for God? Are you uh, humble before God, honest, straight with the Lord? Do you find yourself making a habit, a good habit, of staying in God's Word and enjoying the happiness that comes as a result? Let me remind you of how our Lord and Savior Jesus connected obedience to the child of God. In John 14, we find clearly how Jesus feels about obedience. Here's what he said. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now you can twist that around in reverse and you can say, if you don't love your Savior, just live a life of disobedience. Verse 21, he continues, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest, reveal myself to him. I hope you want more Jesus, amen. We all need more Jesus in our life. We need him to be manifest in us. So the question for your decision time is very simply this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him enough to obey his commandments? Can I tell you that he sure does love you? He loved you so much that 
He endured the scorn of the cross. He endured the brutality of what preceded the cross. And yet he went there anyway. And he died. And in a way that only the Son of God could allow it to happen, your name came to his mind. While he hung on the cross, he thought of you. Do you love him? He sure loves you. The Lord's speaking to you about a decision that you need to make. About obeying the word of God. Just coming just as you are. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be sinless. You just have to come. And he'll do the work once you come. So whatever your decision is today, you take that first step of faith, he'll take it from there. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for our Jesus. And I want to say with a unified voice with my brothers and sisters, yes, we love him. And yes, we want to obey his commandments in every way. Father, for that person who is struggling with a decision even now, Lord, let them conclude that they love the Lord on that cross. Lord, help them to take a step of faith that would lead them into eternal life in heaven with you for all eternity. And we'll give you all the credit, give you all the glory for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.